hold the phone, Chuck. We got all that space down at the morgue. All those cars, all that time at night, nobody watching us. We could handle things for your next door neighbor and all our girlfriends right out of the morgue. Pimps? Are you saying we should become pimps? Pimps is an ugly word. We call ourselves love brokers. Hello and welcome to 80s Movie Montage. This is Derek. And this is Anna. And this week, a hilarious comedy <laughs> about prostitution, dead Morg. bodies, yeah. morgues, and the Fonz. Good stuff. It, it's all good. It all works. It in... all works. I didn't even mention Beetlejuice in <laughs> Night Shift. Night Shift. Yeah, this was a really fun one. I mean... Often the films, I would say probably the majority of the films, at least one of us is pretty familiar with the film, if not both of us. Yeah, the only one I can think of, I don't think you had seen Fire with Fire. No. First, that that's the only other one I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And that's my point is that like often at least one of us is like pretty in the know about the film, but yeah. this is one of those exceptions and where. like that other one. Uh-huh. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. So Night Shift, pretty early in the decade, 1982. Yeah, it feels like a 70s movie. It it does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, do they do they explicitly say that it's set in New York City? Mm, I think so. Do they? Okay. Yeah. Because it feels like kind of a gritty 1970s New York City. It it could be Gotham because we have Michael Keaton. It could oh, be like a, a Batman prequel. But isn't that wild to think that like just seven years later he'd be Batman? It it particularly is after watching this. Right? As dynamic as his performance was, you wouldn't think like this guy'd be perfect for Bruce this Wayne. This guy's gonna be Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Before the decade's up. Uh so okay, night shift. Written by, so a lot of the names that we are about to go through are very familiar. Uh, not necessarily because we've covered them a ton, but... Just for, like, other reasons. Just, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're very much will probably be instances in the future where we talk about them again, talk about them again. But the last time was for Splash. Mm. So a lot of familiar names, like I said, in particular, the credited screenwriters. So we have, once again, the duo of Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel. What a name. Yeah. For Splash, we mentioned that they got, like, to this point, their first and only Oscar nomination. Um, For Splash, it was Best Original Screenplay, which makes my heart very happy because I love that movie so much. Yeah. And I feel like comedies, I can't imagine a world where a film like Splash would get any kind of Oscar attention nowadays, but... I, you know, The Shape of Water kind of involves a merman, so. Okay, fair enough. That's fair. Uh, but that's what it, that's, that's what it would have to turn into. That's, yeah, exactly. Not, not even the same no, movie. No, but, and, and, you know, it's funny that you said that, because I do recall now, that was mid-season three, so if you guys want to go back to Splash, we would love for you to visit that episode. I think we do mention uh, how that was very much a precursor to Shape of Water. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I seem to recall. That would have made sense. So with these two, not, it, they don't perfectly align. It's not that they've done every single project together, but m- the vast majority 
of their projects they've done together. Okay. So I'm going to start with Gans, and he has, like, he has a couple on Mandel uh, that Mandel did not participate with. But for Gans, we have both very much started in television. So we have the odd couple, Happy Days. So here here we go. We're starting with the connection here to the director of the film, Ron Howard. So we have Happy Days, The New Odd Couple, Laverne and Shirley, Joni Loves Chachi. <laughs> then... How long did that show last? Uh, I want to say maybe two seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then they jump very much into film. That's when they get their Oscar nomination for Splash. Spies Like Us, Gung Ho, off of the film Gung Ho. There was a TV series. Yes. So yeah. that... Um, And then this came up when we did cover Splash, the fact that they have this interesting, like, so it started with the the 1989 film Parenthood, and then shortly thereafter, there was a TV series of Parenthood, skip ahead, maybe at least a decade, and then there's a reboot, so to speak, of the TV series Parenthood. So turns out... uh People have an insatiable appetite for seeing <laughs> parents with kids. Very true. In difficult situations. In, yes, there you go. That are slightly comedic. <laughs> so we have that. I'm actually very surprised that, because they did collaborate on A League of Their Own, kind of surprising to me. And I think this shows where, you know, Oscar attention was beginning to head. That should have gotten some kind of, I think, screenplay. I think so. Nomination. But yeah. I don't know. That's just me. Uh, Mr. Saturday Night, now very similarly, so not too long after League of Their Own, that spawned a TV series. That went away. Mm. Then just last year, Mm. there was a new TV series called League of Their Own. So twice over, they've done this. Uh, Outside that, we have Multiplicity. That's another Michael Keaton film. Ed TV, Where the Heart Is. And so far, that's what I got. All right. Yeah. That's not bad. And then for Mandel, honestly, with the exception of a couple titles like um, The Odd Couple, The New Odd Couple, it it very much aligns with the same list of credits that I just went over for Gans. Okay. So like I said, they're very much a, a writer writing partnership. So with, with just a couple exceptions. Okay. Okay. So moving on to directed by, I just mentioned him a second ago. Ron Howard. Mr. Richie Cunningham. Yeah. Opie. Which we talk about this with our special guest, how interesting it was. I mean, I don't want to speak on either of your behalves, but I think it was interesting to all of us that, you know, we had Richie directing the Fonz. That was interesting to me, but not nearly as interesting as thinking of Ron Howard being the crazy, annoying sax man. Yeah, that is fun. That is fun. Yes. So... Yeah, it was it was a really interesting kind of, like this is this is certainly not his first directing job, but mm. it does come very early in his career and I mean I I should know more about his his like career behind the camera. Yeah. But he he got involved so young. Mm-hmm. He probably I'm assuming he just like soaked up a lot of knowledge and was probably involved in like some capacity, like even growing up with like the Andy yeah, Griffith show. I and- think, well, so I've listened to podcasts where he has guested and, you know, he makes a point of saying that 
it it wasn't necessarily easy for him to pivot into directing because everybody knew him as Opie and Richard yeah. Cunningham, and they didn't really have much belief that he could be more than just like a young actor. Yeah. So he, for whatever it's worth, had to kind of like fight for the chance to direct. I just find this really interesting because of who he is directing and how that affects like the dynamic. You know, they worked on Happy Days obviously a really long time. I I don't know if he I mean I could very easily go to Zim, but like mm-hmm. I don't think he directed maybe he did a couple episodes of Happy Days, it's possible. Because he kind of stepped away from being a character in that show to do other things. So in any case, um Ron Howard. Ron Howard, I have for him all films, uh, all of the work that I have listed for him. I mean, just a smattering of the things that he's done. But, I mean, this one's always fun. So he directed a film called Grand Theft Auto. (laughs) That is amazing. So there you go. Uh, As mentioned, he was the director of Splash. Did a great job with that. I mean, he had a great... I mean, he continues to direct. Yes. So it's not to say that his best days are behind him. But he had a really great 80s because he did do Splash, this film, Cocoon, Gung Ho, Willow, Parenthood. Then we jump into the 90s where... You know, it's kind of interesting. I feel like we mentioned this with um, Tom Hanks, and to be fair, Tom Hanks is not in this movie, so I am kind of speaking out of turn. But I see a similarity between them where they, like, focused on comedy in the 80s, and then as we get into the 90s, they both kind of go towards more dramatic fare. Do you think it was a reflection of the uh, grunge movement? (laughs) They had to get a little darker and grittier. I mean, that'd be amazing if that's what they're <laughs> there cranking up Nirvana. And you could do a whole like thesis paper proving that <laughs> Ron Howard and Tom Hanks went serious because of grunge. Spent some time up in Seattle. <laughs> but to that point, you know, then he does Backdraft, Far and Away, Apollo 13. He goes back to comedy occasionally. He did Ed TV, which I like that movie. Yeah. I think that's a good movie. He does How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Then he gets big time Oscar attention because he wins Best Director and he produced on it. So he also got Best Picture for 2001 A Beautiful Mind. Oh, yeah. 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 So does that. Cinderella Man. So it seems like he likes working with Russell Crowe. It does. Um, and he also, for that matter, likes working with Tom Hanks because... Confirmed. Many years... Well, okay, so, like, they're Splash, then they kind of do their own thing. They do come back together again for Apollo 13. They go away again, and then they come back for all the Da Vinci Code movies. Yeah. So, he does... And you and I seem to have an affinity, at least for the first movie. We seem to just keep that on TV if we see it on TV. Yeah, I think... Um, <laughs> The, the first movie is, like, once you get past the haircut, which is, <laughs> it's like, fine, you know, you can get through that, then it's uh, kind of a, kind of an interesting, fun movie, like a... I think it's a fun, uh, like, I, I never read the book, so I don't know... No, n- neither did I. ...how faithful it is to the book, but I do think, and it's kind of hilarious that we're talking about this on Today of All Days, because we're around the Easter yeah. holiday, um, but, you know, the whole conspiracy theory about who Mary Magdalene was, and uh, her true relationship to Jesus, like, it's just an interesting you know, thing. It to- feels to me like someone liked the like the puzzles and like yes. the adventure yes. of lots of 
puzzles in that movie. Yeah, so they took, like, what if we took Raiders, which included, like, the Ark of the Covenant, and made it more religious, and then, <laughs> like, made it a little bit less athletic. <laughs> And ha- throw in the haircut, add a little Tom Hanks, and you're good. It's funny that I never really thought about the comparison, but boy, it really does pull from the indie films. Yeah, you know what these Quite indie films lack? Enough church. We need more <laughs> of that, and then we're good. So then he gets more Oscar love. Um, like, he gets both of the same nominations as he did for Beautiful Mind. He just doesn't win. Mm. But he got Best Director and Best Picture nominations for Frost Nixon. He does Rush. He comes in to take over Solo, a Star Wars story. Which, cool movie. I enjoyed we it. We liked it. Yeah. 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 Gets kind of bashed, I think, unfairly, but that's, that I, is Star I have Wars heard fandom. That, yeah, <laughs> they, I, I've heard that they might do a uh, Lando Yes, they're, ta- they're actually talking to Glover right now yeah. about whether or not that can move forward. And um, Hillbilly Elegy is one of his more recent films. Hmm. So, Okay, so moving on to cinematography. This was shot. Uh, but let's see. Yeah, he's come up, well, he's come up at least once. James, do you think it's Crabe? Or I'm going to say Crab. I'm going to say it's Crab. The E is silent. I don't think it... Mm, okay. Apologies <laughs> for for getting it wrong if we get it wrong, but uh, I'm gonna. I think it's Crabe. You think so? It could be. I'm gonna say James Crabe. Yeah. So you're probably right. He. Uh, if it was me, I'd correct everyone and say it was Crab. <laughs> he has some really great films uh, on his resume. I mean, he also shot the original Rocky. Not bad, not bad. Not bad. Oscar-winning film. There's a connection between this movie, Night Shift, and Rocky, which I'm sure we'll get to. Aside from the I? cinematographer. Yeah, I'm trying to, <laughs> should I know what you're talking about? Am I just forgetting? The uh, the the uh, Lone Shark guy. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. we'll get, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. Okay. No, that's a really good one. Um, he does, thank God it's Friday, The China Syndrome, How to Beat the High Cost of Living, hmm. which I thought was a fun. Gonna have to watch that one. Right? He does get an Oscar nomination. His only Oscar nom for Best Cinematography was for the film The Formula. Hmm. He came up probably, although this was so early, um, we've changed our format a touch. Wasn't he, it like our third episode? Just about. Yeah. 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 He was the DP on The Karate Kid. So if you want to hear what this sounds like with <laughs> Skype, with a guest, <laughs> listen to The Karate Kid. I think he was our first guest, right? Jason? Yeah. yeah. Might have been. Uh, and then he comes back for the first sequel. He comes back for Karate Kid. Karate Kid 2. He does Police Academy 2, their first assignment, and then also the movie Four Keeps? Question mark? Was it? Hey, was did it? you ever see it with Molly Ringwald? And... I don't know. No, I haven't. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Uh, okay. Have I? Question mark? <laughs> so, moving on to music. A huge, 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 huge name in the world of music and a gentleman who just passed away. He just passed away in February of this year. Mm. Bert Bacharach. What a wild <laughs> credit for this movie. Yeah, right? Yeah. He might uh, hold the record for... So he doesn't have 951 composing credits. Those imprise 
Am I using that word correctly? Comprise. Comprise. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, That's his total credits. Mm. And to be fair, actually, as far as like, like strictly speaking, composing does that does not make up the bulk of, Mm. of his, I'm, but it's more like soundtrack, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, a huge, huge, huge name in music. And if we are going off of, you know, what, um, well, I, okay, so I cheated a little bit because I did, I don't know how many more times we're going to get to talk about him, yeah. maybe with Arthur, um, but that's probably not coming up anytime soon. Uh, so I just wanted to list some of the projects for which he also got Oscar attention. Now, he does, earlier in his career, he composes on a film called Forever My Love. He gets a Best Original Song Oscar nomination for What's New, Pussycat. Okay. He was not the composer on this one, so he was on Pussycat, but um, he, but he also gets a Best Original Song Oscar nom for Alfie. He gets yet another, lots of original song <laughs> Oscar nominations. He gets another one for Casino Royale. But not the Casino no, Royale. No, no, no. Not the, the Daniel Craig Casino Royale. Correct. It was actually like a spoof. A, like oh, a spy spoof thing about James Bond because, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, and it came out in 67, which was like five years after Dr. No. Okay. So, yeah, I, I need to dive more into the history of of this one. That's it's cool. Weird. Yeah. He, he finally gets a win, um, and deservedly so. So he wins Best Original Score as well as Best Original Song for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I was looking right at it, guessing, I bet this is it. And we just heard this song yesterday when we were shopping, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. Yeah. 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 So that was the song for which he won. He does win again. He gets another Best Original Song Oscar win for, just mentioned it, the film Arthur. He does come back to compose on Arthur 2 on the rocks. And then lastly, I have a boy called Poe. As far as like composing goes, mm. does it, it just? I don't, I don't even know if I could say it scratches the surface of of all that he's done. So it, I don't think it does. Yeah, he's also featured in um, Austin Powers. Yes, isn't he? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. You're absolutely right. So moving on to film editing, this is a rarity. Um, I don't think it is the first time, but very. Verily, I can't even. Verily, rarely, verily. <laughs> I put together very rarely. So, <laughs> do we have three film editors? But we do in this case. It doesn't, and this is this is a compliment to them. It does not look like a movie that was edited by three people. Yeah, and I mean, so two of them are kind of um, partners, or, or were partners. The third, not quite sure how that all came came to be. Usually three editors on a film is not a great thing. Uh, but I don't I don't really know the circumstances, unfortunately, of why a third editor is brought in. But of the first two, um, Hanley and Mike Hill, or sorry, I didn't say that, Daniel P. Hanley and Mike Hill, they they did collaborate on a ton of projects and they very much um, were collaborators with, with Ron Howard. Hmm. So, you know, we, we brought them up for Splash. Um, of this 
duo, Mike Hill, unfortunately, he also just very recently passed away in January mm-hmm. of this year. But, you know, looking at their credits, I mean, really similar um, to Ganza and Mandel in terms of just like a lot of overlap with their different credits. So I'll go over. I won't repeat myself um, for both of them, but Hanley has like just a couple extra credits beyond Hill's filmography. But what I have, I mean, Laverne and Shirley, like it all is like in the family because like Laverne and Shirley was a spinoff of Happy Days. And, you know, we've already talked about. And we haven't even talked about hardly uh, any Mork and Mindy, which is also a spinoff. Right. Yes. But um, so he cut on Laverne and Shirley, but from, I think outside of that, everything I have is film. So the aforementioned splash. And again, a ton of Ron Howard's projects. So Cocoon and this, and I, I just want to say that Mike Hill is included in this Cocoon, Gung Ho, Willow. He, they do Pet Cemetery. So not every, not everything is um, Ron Howard, but a lot. Parenthood, Problem Child, Backdraft, Far and Away. So the two of them together, Hanley and Hill, they do get a Best Film Editing win at the Oscars for Apollo 13. I could see that. Very much yeah. so. Yeah. So they do, um, or I should say, yeah, Hanley on his own took in and out. Um, that was not a collabor- collaboration between the two, but then they come together for Ed TV, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And then together they get several more Oscar nominations. And so they get, um, all, all film editing, of course, they get a nomination for A Beautiful Mind. They get another for Cinderella Man. They, I'm not, this isn't about Oscar love, but they, you know, do all the Da Vinci Code movies together. So they do that, Angels and Demons and Inferno. And then as a duo, they got their last Oscar nomination for Frost Nixon. And then just beyond that, they cut Rush. There's a a, a fun TV movie that I'm not sure if they both worked on, but 1984, 1984's obsessive love which does not sound (laughs) healthy but then when you find out it's about a woman trying to create a relationship with the soap star who is the target of her obsession i bet it doesn't work out real well wow that sounds like very much a lifetime movie obsessive love yeah yeah for sure it does okay so I mentioned there were three editors on this film. You did. The last person that we're bringing up in this capacity is Robert James Kern. So here's here's my hypothesis mm-hmm. of why there was a third editor. This film came quite early in the careers of Hanley and Hill. Okay. So I think, because if you look at this gentleman's resume, this comes at the tail end of his career. So I think they just needed to bring in somebody maybe with a little bit more experience, someone who could maybe guide them a touch. All right. That's that's my guess. I don't know for sure, but that's my guess. Um, for him, though, interestingly, I have, like, all TV. So we have The Thin Man. So this is what I'm talking about. Like, this is, like, decades before this film comes along. The Thin Man, Please Don't Eat the Daisies, The Odd Couple. So he, still keeping it in the family, he also was an editor on Happy Days as well as Laverne and Shirley. So they, they probably all knew some, each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there you go. Okay. Your film has now been edited. Your film has now been edited. Moving on to the stars of the film. Who do we got? I, I mean, I know who we got, but. The Fonz. Yeah. Henry Winkler. 
He plays Chuck Lumley. And, you know, we talk about this with our guest, David. So he's like this very kind of like, I don't know. I don't know. Do you think, like, could you make a case for him being a depressed person in this film? He seems really unhappy. Yes, absolutely. Very unhappy, very subdued. It takes a lot to finally get something out of him at the very end. Um, Yeah, he's pretty miserable. mm -hmm. Yeah. Very much plays against, like, I mean, I don't know if, you know, we we talk a little bit about for an actor who is so associated with a single character like he was with the Fonz. He, I mean, that's how I feel about him. But I wonder, like, if this is one of those things where it's tough to get out of like my own way when I think about him, because even when we see him in Barry, mm-hmm. I still I still think mm-hmm. of like the Fonz. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure for a lot of people, they've seen him in like may- maybe the Water Boy was the first thing that maybe they saw Scream. Him yeah, as the principal. Yeah. So, well, in that there is a slight nod. There is. There's an Easter egg. Yeah. An Easter egg. Yeah. Leather jacket's in there. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's because he just owned that character and that character was such a focal point of the show. It's hard to like not like think of him Mm -hmm. that way. But he does a good job of really, you know, there are actors out there where they're kind of just doing the same version or I'm sorry, a slightly different version of the same character in everything that they do. I would I would argue that everything other than Arthur Fonzarelli is kind of what Winkler does. That's an interesting person. Yeah, I could see I can see overlap between this character and who he plays in Barry. Like, I don't know if that was the intent to like, oh, this this like Fonz character is is so cool. Yeah, you have to make it like the, the contrast will be fun for people to like see. But like we've all seen it now. Yeah. Over like. Several, several years, but he's really good at it. He is. And to, I mean, to, to that note, um, I mean, he, what do I have? I have like about 20 and that's, again, I don't very rarely am I able to like just include everybody's filmography. So this is just like the highlights of a very long and, uh, successful career for Winkler. As far as his acting work goes, uh, we have, like, very early on some films. We have The Lords of Flatbush, Heroes, The One and Only. The only reason why I'm saying this title first is because um, it all goes back to, like, when a series ends. And so I guess Happy Days actually went on longer than it's been off Laverne and Shirley. Because I have Laverne and Shirley, really? then Happy Days. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, I just brought up Scream. He's actually uncredited for Scream. That's ridiculous. Isn't that weird? He should, I mean, I, that's that's weird because... I don't know if that, like, sometimes they do that to, like... So that you didn't know that he was going to be... Don't, I don't know why they, why, why they do, but, like, I mean, everybody, I think, knows it's him. Like, I don't think that's a secret, but uh, to your point, the water boy, mm-hmm. down to you, it seems like he kind of actually has a relationship with Adam Sandler because he's in a lot yeah, of Sandler for films. Sure. Yeah. Uh, little Nicky click. He, and then now that we're getting closer to like the second half of his career, we are coming back into more television work. He was in out of practice. He did have, he was um, the dad parks and recreation for uh, what was, oh my gosh. What were oh their names? yes. I can't remember those two. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, I mean, he's yeah. great, great um, in that. 
He was in Children's Hospital Royal Pains Arrested Development. But he does still continue to do film work. Here comes the boom. The French Dispatch. Uh, He was just very recently in Black Adam. Mm -hmm. And we've mentioned it a couple times now. He is probably, what, second lead in Barry? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that character is, is, like, really great. Yeah. Because it's not just, like, kind of the subdued guy that you see in Night Shift. It's not the Fonz. It's like a more multi-dimensional mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. No, he's great in that. Okay, moving on to Batman. Michael Keaton. <laughs> I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. Bill Blazjowski. What a name. Is how I'm going to say that character name. And yeah, we've only talked. Well, no, twice now. So we've talked about him in Beetlejuice and Batman. Both of those were season one. So if you want to go all the way back to season one to listen to those two, we encourage you to do so. I've mentioned it a bazillion times. I love him in Mr. Mom. That's like one of my favorites. And I'm shocked we haven't covered it yet. Um, But even preceding that. So like kind of similarly, like he starts out in television. He actually was in the Mary Tyler Moore hour. Oh, all the whole hour. (laughs) Yeah, she got a whole hour. And, you know, I we, we're going to circle back to him doing more TV work very recently. But in between those uh, different projects, just a ton of films. So as I mentioned, Mr. Mom, he does Johnny Dangerously. He reteams with uh, Howard Forgungho. He does the aforementioned Beetlejuice. And he kind of swings back and forth. So he goes from Beetlejuice to Clean and Sober. It's like the anti-Arthur. yeah. Uh, he does the dream team. He is the, you know, first iteration of Batman. He comes back for Batman Returns. That's when they turn over the reins first to Val Kilmer, then George Clooney. After Batman Returns, right? Then it's like uh, Batman, Batman Rob- Forever. Yeah, yeah. Val Kilmer's Batman Forever. George Clooney is Batman and Robin. Then mm-hmm. they take a break, and then we get the Christian Bale movies, and now the Robert Pattinson movies. Oh. You totally skipped over Ben Affleck. Oh, sorry. <laughs> he's not bad. No, he's I not. I don't mind him. I mean, they they were all they're all pretty good Batmen, but <laughs> but just like some of those movies went like really sideways. The only reason why I want to see the Flash, and I'm getting to that in just a second, is because I want to see Michael Keaton as Batman again. Yeah, that's absolutely. that's the only reason why I want to see that movie. So. Uh, he does Much Ado About Nothing, My Life, The Paper, Speechless, Multiplicity, Jackie Brown, Jack Frost. Mm-hmm. He does voice work. He um, did some voice work in both Cars and Minions, uh, more film work, Other The Other Guys. He gets his, so far, one and only Best Actor nomination for... Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, which did win Best Picture that year. It did not win for Best Title, did it? Yeah, those titles that just, I'm like, whatever. Nobody calls it. You see a title with a semicolon, I'm like. Or parentheses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He does Spotlight that also, man, he had a pretty good run with films that went on Best Picture. Yes. So he's in Spotlight. Uh, Did you ever watch, I found, I watched The Founder on a flight. Did you ever watch that about the founder of uh, McDonald's? No, I'm more of a Burger King guy. (laughs) So he's in that. Uh, I think you mentioned, did you? Spider-Man Homecoming? 
I didn't, but I was thinking it. You're thinking it. I must Why are you in my ta- head? Tapping into that. <laughs> so, which is kind of a funny play on what people, like if you know his filmography. Yeah. It, I, th- I want to say it's a little bit of a wink. It seems like it. To that. And He was really good in that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he was. And like I mentioned very recently, he's done some TV work. He's been on the show Dope Sick. Hmm. And like we were just talking about The Flash, which is coming out, I want to say, end of May. So we got next month. Maybe. They've been threatening us with this movie for a while now. And the longer they hold on to it, the more opportunity for that kid playing The Flash to just go crazy. I think it's set. Is it going to happen? I think so. Okay. I I mean, I actually like the uh, actor who played The Flash. He played Barry Mm -hmm. in the TV series, but... I yeah, whatever. Dealing so, with multiverses, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> we can do whatever we want, and yeah, Michael Keaton is slated to come mm-hmm. back as one of the Batmen. Batman, Batman's. <laughs> <laughs> We're Batman. Okay, so moving on to Shelley Long, who, funnily enough, plays Belinda, last name Keaton. So that's so. Her. That's funny because of the Keaton name, but also the Belinda name. Do you think, is it possible that that whole, like, my dad wrote a porno thing that he called, that he named his main character Belinda because he was a fan of Night Shift? Highly doubt it, but possibly. I just wanted to throw it out there. You're probably right. And what was the name of the books? Uh, Belinda Blinked. Belinda Blinked. That's right. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to be fair, I know of no other Belinda besides that character. Yeah, this is the second Belinda that I've ever seen. Yeah, so so maybe. So yeah, Shelley Long. And we haven't brought her up yet, but there are plenty of opportunities for us to do so in the future because a lot of films from the 80s that we can cover with her. Mm, Yeah, just like uh, both Winkler and Keaton, I have mostly film work for her. So she does Caveman, Losing It, Irreconcilable Differences, The Money Pit. Oh, The Money Pit is so good. So that's for sure something that we can cut. I, I Every mean, single time they these. get something fixed at this at this house, they buy two weeks. <laughs> How long is this going to take? Two weeks. Outrageous Fortune, Hello Again, Troop Beverly Hills. However... Probably what most people associate her with is Diane on yes. Cheers. I think of her as Diane in a in a similar way to what I described with Henry Winkler, which is yeah. it's like, oh, Diane Chambers is in this movie as a different character. Which it's funny because they both are so identifiable with a particular character. This was I mean, Cheers came out the same year as this film. So she wasn't really, I think, thought of as that character just yet. But she was on her way yeah. to being thought of as that character. So, you know, I don't know if like, because now we are pretty removed from that TV show. Um, but From Cheers? I'd yeah. say so. But when it was in its heyday and she was super popular, she kind of did like a David Caruso. What's that mean? Where she was like, I want to explore what my options are outside of Cheers. Oh, and oh, so, that's that's when uh, Kirstie Alley. Yeah, which for me, the show's over. <laughs> like, I really just love the Sam and Diane. Yeah. Uh, 
dynamic. I mean, they were so like so fucking good together. Like I love watching those two play it's, against each other. It certainly worked out okay for each of them. Yeah, I wish I want I doubt it, but like I wish that there was an opportunity for them to obviously not be the same characters, but I would just love to see Ted Danson and Shelley Long like act together again. Yeah, I mean, we did get 123 episodes of her on Cheers. No, she did. Yeah, she did a good run. Has she not done enough for us? I know, I know. But okay, so beyond that, um, you know, she is in the Brady Bunch movie, a very Brady sequel. She did have a good, she had a good stint on Modern Family. Hmm. She's in that. I want to say she plays, um, Ed o, is it Ed O'Neill? His ex-wife. You, you can totally say it. You don't. Is just, that his name? Ed O'Neill? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. make sure I got that right. And more recently, the film The Cleaner. So that's Shelley Long. So, okay. So those are our three big leads. I am going to bring up Chuck's fiance. Gatu. Gatu. But beyond that, it those are the main characters. But we do have, like, what's really interesting in this film is we have a whole lot of crazy cameos by people who went on to, in their own right, become quite famous. But... I think that's right. Yeah. Before we get there, though, um, so the character of Charlotte, she is played by Gina Hatch. Is she? I always look at you when I say a name, but I think that that's right. I think that's right. So to your point, where you're like, we haven't talked about Morgan Mindy enough. Well, guess what she is mostly probably known for? Morgan Mindy. Is she really? Yeah. Is that Mindy? Oh, no. Oh. No, no, no. I didn't think so. Pam Dauber is Mindy. Uh, but she was on that show for... Okay. Yeah. So that was, like, one of her huge TV roles. She has done just a lot of, like, kind of one-offs, two-offs. So she was on a show called Mork and Mindy where she played a character named Jean Da Vinci, which ties back to Ron Howard, who was on Happy Days, which is connected to Mork and Mindy, who then went on to direct The Da Vinci Code. Wow. It's all making sense. It's all, <laughs> it's all coming together. It's all coming together. So, yeah, so that's probably what she's most well known for. However, I mean, she's still working very much today. Um, she's on the show Dave. Oh. So that's oh, yeah. like on right now. It is. Um, and then a couple other credits I have for her, uh, some film work, St. Elmo's Fire and Seven Pounds. And I think I did remember her character from three episodes of Seinfeld. Yes. Yes. She had like just a little a little bit of a stint yep. on Seinfeld. So, you know, as far as like the way that it's funny to me because the film in terms of the way that they list credits they have, you know, these other characters that, like, sure, they, they come up like, you know, Charlotte's father, the actor who plays him, or the actress who plays Chuck's mother. But they're really not significant parts of the film, honestly. And we've kind of covered the four main characters that really push the story along. Yeah. But we do have, like, I mentioned these cameos. First of all, it's funny to me that, like, I think Richard Belzer is so far down the list of credits. Um, he, so to speak, plays one of the bad pimps. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's such an aggressive pimp. 
Yeah. Yes. So so we have him. He makes an appearance. Um, we have a very, very young Shannon Doherty. One of the bluebirds that kicks the shit out of yes. uh, Chuck. I mean, she just, her face is in the camera for just a second, but I was like, that's got to be Shannon Doherty. You called it right away. Yeah, so, you're like, is that Shannon Doherty? Yeah, so she's in it. Um, he has no speaking lines, but we have a very young Kevin Costner. Yep, he's like a like a frat guy yeah. at, one, at a party. Yep. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was wild. So we have him, and then um, I'm going to put the onus on you for the actor's name from Rocky. Yeah, well you you can do that, but I don't know who it is. <laughs> he also is the lead in a uh, maniac. He's he's film. in uh, the Godfather as well, right? Is Isn't he? that him? I don't know if he is in the Godfather. Joe Spinell. Yes. Yep. There yep. you go. So he's in it. The only person. So we have all these cameos, but the only person that I'm really going to kind of go through their um, filmography. It's all it's all nepotism, baby. But it's Clint Howard. That's the one I'm going to go through. So he so in real life, he is Ron Howard's brother. And in the film, he is the high schooler who. Well, OK, so that's really interesting. Now that I'm thinking about it. Like I took it to be that he was going to his prom. Yeah. When was Bill. He? But then he was also at the frat party. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure of what his. He he was there for like more comic, yeah, comic hijinks. But they kind of put him into both high school and college. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't I don't know, um, but yeah, Clint Howard. I mean, he is a prolific actor at this point. He has two hundred and fifty three acting credits. To be fair, you know, like he does show up in a lot of his brother's films and other projects, but not not all of it for sure. He's Definitely done his own stuff. So among some of his highlights, he too, when he was very young, was on the Andy Griffith show. Mm. So he was on that. I, don't, I didn't, don't think I actually knew that. Um, I didn't before. I didn't, I, I, and I never watched the show. So You never watched the Andy Griffith show? No. What? That felt like so old to me as a kid. But Black and white. Yeah. <laughs> There, there weren't that many choices. So if it's like on, I'm uh, like, okay, I no. guess I'm watching I this. Mean, like, look, I, I'm going to get the pitchforks after me. Has nothing to do with the quality of the show, but I never was really into I Love Lucy either. Yeah. I mean, I probably watched more I Love Lucy than the Andy Griffith show, but that's because they were just. On as a kid, all the time. if it, if so, like, I mean, I've completely come around on this, but like, as a kid, if I saw a show that was in black and white, I was like, nope. Turn in the channel or I'm <laughs> going to do something else. What so, a snob. Yeah. So he was on the Andy Griffith show, another show called The Baileys of Balboa. Um, more TV work, Gentle Ben, The Cowboys. So he shows up in Howard's, uh, one of his early films, Grand Theft Auto. So that was 77. Not the video game. Not the video game. He does Rock and Roll High School, Cocoon. So here's what's interesting. He was in the film Gung Ho. Mm -hmm. He plays a character named Paul. He also is in the TV series Gung Ho, but he plays a character named, I'm going to say, Googie. All right. So that's interesting. That's I, I always love people being recast for different roles in the same <laughs> right? like underlying yeah. type of uh, IP. Yeah. 
He shows up in Parenthood. He does Tango and Cash. Um, oh, Tango and Cash. Is that is that 80s? You've asked me this before, haven't you? No. I don't know off the top of my head. No, well, I apologize. I'll I'll do some uh I'll do some research it's while r- it's right there. It's like right on the line. So well, it's probably like 89.90. After confirming that Joe Spinell was in fact in The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2, along with Rocky and Night Shift, I will now do some quick research on <laughs> The year that Tango and Cash was made. Uh, okay. So he shows up um, in several more uh, Howard films. Backdraft, Far and Away, Apollo 13. He does That Thing You Do. Um, he also is in a couple Adam Sandler films. He is also in The Waterboy, Little Nicky. Oh, yeah. He, he shows up in Frost Nixon as well as Solo, A Star Wars Story. And... Yeah, I mean, I think when you have 253 credits, you're going to show up probably quite a bit in television. And so he has a lot of TV, like TV appearances where That's it's like excellent. a one-off. Or, Pretty exciting. Yeah. I don't know if it's exciting as this uh, breaking news that I have. <laughs> yes. Tango and Cash, 1989. <laughs> Just got it in there. Well, we'll see if one day a fan wa- or fan, a guest wants to cover it. I mean... It's more likely that now that we've brought the attention to this, mm-hmm. like how many people are going to all have it on their list at the same time? Sure, they're going to be just pounding on our door. Yeah. Asking to cover that film with us. Probably. Okay. Film synopsis. What do we got? How, how do we describe this movie? <laughs> Very curious about this. A mild manner morgue attendant is assigned to the night shift and his new co-worker, along with his prostitute neighbor convince him of running a prostitution ring out of the morgue. I feel like that's kind of like conflating some separate things that happened. I mean, they don't talk at all about, I mean, just referring to her as the his prostitute, prostitute neighbor. neighbor. <laughs> I mean, there's a little bit more going on than that. So, but uh, it's more or less. Yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's not, it's not a bad synopsis. Yeah. Um, we've seen worse. Yes, we have. So it's fine. I mean, I think the only thing that, um, I mean, it's a pretty wordy one sentence, one sentence synopsis. I think if there was the possibility to work in kind of this like odd couple dynamic with him and Keaton's character and the love story. Yeah. Then you got everything. Maybe break. Give me. Give me two sentences, but make them, like, tighten them up a little. Tighten them up a little. Yeah. Yeah. And that could work. So on that note, let's get into it with our special guest, David. Let's do it. All right. We are so very excited to have with us today this very special guest. I, on occasion, we've had in the past a couple guests where... I've crossed paths with them because they're these tremendous creatives and filmmakers who I've been very privileged to get to see their work at different film festivals. And that is the case here as well. I got to see our guest tech horror short. It's called A Unique Opportunity at the Atlanta Shorts Fest. It is amazing, as is he, David Perez Babbage. David is, he's based in Los Angeles. That's what was really cool is that like I met him in Atlanta and then we were both like, yeah, we're both from LA. So David is based in Los Angeles. He is an actor, writer, director, musician. He's appeared in multiple networking cable shows, just some of them happen to be Grownish, American Crime Story, and American Housewife. And also, as mentioned, he has his self-produced projects, award-winning self-produced projects. They've shown 
at multiple film festivals, including, I already mentioned, Atlanta Shorts Fest, but also the Los Angeles Independent Film Festival. And we are just over the moon for him to be with us today. Welcome, David. Thank you so much. Uh, Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And so... We've mentioned this before that we will, you know, when we're talking to a guest about being on the show, we very much want them to have agency in terms of like what we're talking about. Mm. We want it to be a film that they love or at least are interested in chatting about. And so one of those, one of those. (laughs) So we were super stoked when you brought up Night Shift because we, Derek and I, like I had seen bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. Derek, it was totally new to him. <laughs> so this was awesome for us. I was aware of it. This. I knew that it was a movie that existed. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I first saw it when I was super young. I mean, I saw it. I was alive. I was very much alive <laughs> at that time. <laughs> very much alive. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I, so I saw it that one time. Then I saw it again about two years ago. And then, uh, yeah, there's some interesting things about it to talk about, I think. So that, actually, that in itself is interesting to me. So so if I'm understanding you correctly, you saw it when you were little. Yes. And then it sounds like there was like a chunk of time. It is a super appropriate movie for... (laughs) For a child. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. Well, let's see. So let's specifically, so it was 1982. So I will tell you that I was literally... 14. So, okay. All right. uh, okay. so yeah, so I was like, you know, d- not, not a little boy, but ready. You were ready almost for... <laughs> in some ways the perfect age. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's what I needed at that point. Yes, exactly. Uh, so that's, so do you, okay, great. Okay. So we are talking about a 14 year old David. Yeah. So when you first saw it, how did it wash over you? Was it like the humor of the, of the, story or was it like the story it's like what was it that captured you if if it did at all so to my recollection honestly the first the first thought was what is the Fonz doing in yeah. <laughs> a mo- another another movie that's not the Fonz? He's like a totally different person. What is go- what's happening here? So it was a little bit of that that sensation that I recall because I I Definitely knew Happy Days, and uh, and I don't know how many of the listeners that are listening actually sure. know Happy Days, but yeah, that was you know he was basically this uh, for anyone who Iconic. doesn't know, yeah, he was like Happy Days was like a show in the seventies about the fifties, and mm-hmm. the Fonz yeah. was like this like the the most cool dude, basically. Hey. Yeah, hey, exactly. So so it was really funny seeing him in a totally different type of character. So that was a little wake-up call. Uh, uh, I wasn't really a, an actor yet, but I start, got a little glimpse of what it means to really be an actor in that case. So that was the first thing. And then I think also the, the type of physical comedy uh, in this film was really captivating and interesting mm. to me as well. And that's something that I realized as years went by um, that I really was drawn to is a certain style of physical comedy. That boy, you just brought up a couple really great points. I think mm. one thing that you hit on that definitely was something that crossed my mind was what people would have thought of Henry Winkler being in this film at that time, mm. because mm-hmm. happy days, I think happy days was like in its last couple years, I think. Well, and Henry this... Winkler's been in 
he's uh, at this point he's been in other movies, other series, Barry, mm-hmm. but at the time Right. He was so just like he was the Fonz. Right. Yeah. Like kind of in the same way that, you know, you know, we're talking about like, um, you know, Mark Hamill being solely mm. identified as like Luke Skywalker yeah, or right. like I it, it's I mean, I think you could probably speak to this better than either of us could, David. But mm. like in terms of being an actor. Right. I mean, what's what's your <laughs> thought about. Like, is it just like kind of a double edged sword? Like you're happy to be so identified with a particular character, but then it does feel maybe like boxing you in a little bit. Huh, that's interesting. Cause I, I haven't had, you know, this sort of enough experience being a, uh, like a major lead or anything mm-hmm. in something that's, that's as big as that. So I don't have that direct experience, but I mm-hmm. guess in terms of the idea, I, I think I could relate it to more, um, in terms of I'm often cast for like lawyers and doctors and mm. things that are like this one side of me that I can mm-hmm. definitely do. But I, I know that I have uh, a lot more depth th- available and complexity right. and stuff like that. You see more in like a unique opportunity or some of the more independent stuff that I've done or the theater stuff I've done. So, yeah. so that could be, you know, the Fonz uh, slash Chuck thing here for him i mean he's <laughs> he was like <laughs> he was like yeah because henry winkler was boxed into the fonz and here he is this whole like maybe it is really more of henry winkler that we saw mm-hmm, in in mm-hmm. in night shift yeah no that's a really great point i definitely yeah. you know was thinking about that and then, and then it's so interesting that if you know the people listening to this weren't already aware it's ron howard who I know, directed yeah. this film and they were co-stars on mm-hmm. Happy Days. So from your perspective, David, like, I mean, I'm not expecting you to know, you know, how all the nuances of the casting uh, took place, but do you think that it was an easy collaboration between them? Do you think that that was like mm-hmm. fun for them to work together or maybe a little bit challenging because of the different capacity in which they had been collaborators before? That's a really good question. I, I don't. I'm imagining because I, I kind of did a little bit of um, looking into some of the collaborations that were happening, sort of in the background at the time. So basically, I'm just looking at my notes here. Actually, yeah. The writer, so the screenwriter, actually was uh, also a writer creator of Happy Days mm-hmm. and Laverne and Shirley. So I, it almost seems like. They kept it in there the family, was, huh? Yeah, it seems like there was an in-the-family thing happening already. So uh, I would imagine that I, – I got it. Now I kind of want to know. I, w- I would think it was positive. But, yeah, it's like there's right. a, who is this little Richie Cunningham directing yeah. me now? <laughs> yes. So that's why that's why what you're thinking, you know, because yes. he was this kid who was, like, under the funds, basically. So I, I honestly don't know. I, I think that Ron Howard, by that point, had – some he had been established to some level as a director he had mm-hmm. with grand theft auto and a couple of, the, mm-hmm. of a smaller project that's like he had proved himself to some extent already so i would i would imagine that um he 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 probably was fine no that's a very good point that's a very good point yeah and i think that um how cool was the fonz really though because his office was <laughs> the men's room and he lived yeah. over their garage when you okay that yeah in so retrospect true. <laughs> 
That's an interesting lived. thing that I, yeah. <laughs> Chuck but may have been much he, cooler. He, he ran a successful got, business. He still got the ladies, though. Yeah. They well, both he got did. the ladies. He, um, true. Well, that, huh. and the other thing that I thought was so interesting about this particular film is, like, it's kind of wild when you think about all the very well-known actors, like, hmm. You Kevin know, Costner? For, 40 years. Oh. Well, that's what, yes. <laughs> I mean, there are some wild cameos yes. in this film. But when you think about how the three leads, mm-hmm. okay, so Winkler already established. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was curious, David, your thoughts on, you know, at this point, so we have Shelley Long, Cheers yeah. premiered the same year. Right. So she's not the Shelley Long that, Everybody is thinking, especially like Cheers did not even perform all the first year. Like it almost got canceled. Um, So there's that. And then Michael Keaton, although not his first role at all, but like um, first kind of meaty role, I would say. uh, First test drive of what would later become Beetlejuice. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. So from your standpoint, David... You know, and 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 just to say, like we're, we we can go all over the place with this film. Sure. There's no, yeah. So I'll probably be bouncing around. But um, how do you feel about these like pretty early performances by two other actors who went on to have these like huge careers? Yeah, I think it's gosh, it's so interesting. Um, Michael Keaton. So you know, because before this, you know, he was on Maude, Mary Tyler Moore. Mr. Maud. Rogers actually was Aww. his very first thing. And I don't know exactly what it was, but that's his first credit on IMDb. Um, and so this was like, what I saw in his performance was a guy who was just totally like, it's like, you know, when you're in acting class, it's like the, you, you do certain, certain teachers get you to in this place of complete spontaneity and finding the most risk take risk taking and the side of you that's just like completely unleashed. And, and that's what I felt he was doing as a, as mm-hmm. a person, just like letting himself compl- like, not, not just a very developed character, but just having so much freedom. And you could even, it almost seemed as if he was sometimes ad-libbing little pieces of lines or not always being clean, being a little bit messy and just, just really like, and and obviously the physicality that he brought in was so strong. And, and I, I I just, yeah, I was blown away actually. I, it it looked like one of those like landmark performances that almost would have to get him somewhere. Totally agree with you. And I love, like you, you really hit on something that I noticed as well. I loved just the little things that he did. I mean, and and mm-hmm. who's to say where the line is probably blurred a little bit between like what he did on, did on his own and what perhaps he was directed to do. Yeah. But just like, you know, for instance, when he's getting his mugshot yeah. and, <laughs> and the way he kind of turns, even though yes. it's his profile, turn, like I thought oh, that was God. just incredible. I like know. those little things, like they were so funny. And um, Derek, to your point, I think, and I and I really wanted to see like where you stood on this, David. I, I suppose it's easy for all of us to say like, oh yeah, I can kind of see where Beetlejuice came from, mm-hmm. um, from this performance. But like, did did that hit for you at all? Just like, because feel free to disagree with me, but I would say that there's like a manic energy. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. he has in this role, part of it is just yeah. Michael Keaton because there's a little is bit it? of yeah. there's a little Beetlejuice and Bruce Wayne. In oh right, yeah, 
There you is know? this yeah, zany sort mm-hmm. of interior that Michael Keaton brings yeah. um, to those different roles. So I think, yeah. And it's funny now Beetlejuice is more like a little bit more cloudy in my memory as far as, but I can remember sure. his character. But but yeah, I think, ooh, that's, yeah. Like, is it just Michael Keaton or is it his, I think it is. I think it is Michael He's Keaton. not Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice is it, him. It yes, also, exactly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting is um because one of my one of my favorite Michael Keaton films and we haven't even done it yet I can't believe it is Mr. Mom. Mm. Oh yeah. I love Mr. Yeah. Mom. Yeah. And there's the same kind of energy. So maybe you guys are right. Maybe it's just what Michael Keaton is brings to his roles. You know there's a great quote um from an acting teacher who I don't I don't know who the source is because an acting teacher told me this quote um which is as an actor, you're stuck with a character, but the character is stuck with you. Mm. So, so no matter what, it's always going to be you. So, it's in a way, it's it's a good thing to remind actors who are starting out because sometimes they'll just like step outside of themselves and think they have to play this other character. And then this, in this case, the teachers reminding the actor, "Well, we need it is you. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it is you, no matter what." So, uh, so the, yeah, that just kind of this conversation mm. reminds me of that quote a little bit. And do you feel like from your perspective that what he brought to the role, because I'm going to say it's very, I mean, most things in film are deliberate, but like the contrast between Bill's character or just, I should say Bill Mm -hmm. and Chuck Mm -hmm. with Winkler having this very, um, what is even the word I use for it? I mean, he is very subdued. Yes. That's Mm -hmm. a great way to put it. Mm -hmm. And so did that dynamic work for you? Yes. Yeah, it did. I think um it's like the the Abbott and Costello, I guess they yeah. would call it. But it's that that sort yeah. of energetic interplay. Um I think yeah, I think it definitely worked. I think it was Im- important um for the writing to work in a way that they would be that dynamically opposed. Um, and given yeah. who we knew Winkler to be up to that point. Hey. There you go. Exactly. Did you, because I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to articulate this well, but it felt like, Mm. I I know he's, you know, making a choice for the character. The character shouldn't necessarily bleed over into who the Fonz was. I I wouldn't want it to. But like, it felt really. What a different movie that would have been. The Fonz would (laughs) have. <laughs> like take care of business but fast. Was, I, I think you used a really apt word, Derek, in terms of his character being subdued. Like even outside of the contrast between him and Bill, did you like the way that Winkler portrayed that character and that kind of pervasive until the very end where he finally hits his limit and he doesn't want the sandwich with the mustard and, you know, like the right. whole thing. <laughs> you know, it's funny because it kind of, it kind of gets to, the writing in a sense, because there's, mm. there's certain aspects of the, of the screenplay that I think needed help somehow. So, okay. and I guess we could always obviously get into that at some point, sure. but, but I think that that arc you're describing was a little bit, um, I see it as a writing thing. It was a little bit mm-hmm. like on the, super on the nose, just like, mm-hmm. yeah, like, okay, like super subdued, like, depressed and and then all of a sudden he can stand up to the dog at the end you know right or like yeah that was yeah it was great (laughs) exactly it was great it was it it was so 
gosh, it's like, there's so many different ways to look at it. It's like, on one hand, it's totally campy and ridiculous. On the other hand, it's like super on the nose and it's like, okay, yeah, of course he's now this hero at the end. So I don't know. It's like, I guess it all works under the sort the way that it was directed, like with Mm -hmm. all of these huge physical comedy sort of ridiculous choices that were made to, to, to help it along. But I, I think, yeah, I think, um, I think I'm on board with, with what Winkler did. It was, okay. it was yeah. like, I, I don't really, I mean, I thought he did a, a, a great job of, of performing that role, like being that, that character. Right. So my issue is less with his specific performance. Right. And more with just like, I feel like we've seen this kind of like odd couple type of pairing where the one person is very subdued. Suddenly the extrovert comes right. in and I'm like, man, I bet by the end of this movie, he's really going to stand up for himself. <laughs> yeah. <He's> gonna... <laughs> so, yeah. It, it's yeah. It's yeah. Predictable sort of. But like if he wasn't that character and Michael Keaton just comes in and he's like, hey, I want to use the hearse to uh, work it as a limo. And then later we might become pimps. And Winkler's like, OK, then you don't have much of a movie. Right. There's exactly. not much uh, to go on there. Exactly. Well, one thing or, that yeah, sorry, oh yeah no please go ahead well David. well i was gonna say or if the winkler character is like uh, like absolutely not no you're not gonna use the hearse that's not gonna happen well that's yeah. another way the movie's not gonna happen right is right. if he just shuts it down he kind of <laughs> has to be steamrolled a little bit for there yeah. to be a film exactly. um well you know you brought up writing and we can certainly talk about that right now i mean i because i think the thing that i was thinking about while I was watching this is that I wish I actually would have seen more of the transition of Chuck's character into who he is in the film because we get bits and pieces and, and it was only cause I, um, you know, did, did my like Wikipedia and the whole deal. Mm. How did he, cut, how did he turn? How did yeah, he become? I blame, I blame Charlotte. You, well, mm. sure. Sure. We can talk about Charlotte for sure. Um, but you know, so from what I understand, he mm. was a successful stockbroker. Right. But it was too much pressure. Mm-hmm. And so he does this like kind of what he thinks is going to be a mindless job. And I I would have liked to have seen kind of I, I don't know how then you open that film. Are you talking but about a night shift prequel? Because I'm kind, in. kind of. Ooh. You Ooh, know? That's, I love like, that. I get and so I guess what mm. the question I want to ask is just did you feel like you understood his background and why he was the way he was? And and, and for that really. matter, why he dated who he was, he was dating. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I, I actually agree. I think that it's a little bit um, too easy somehow. Like it's almost like, Oh, this would be a really good idea. Like these guys work in a morgue and, and then they're going to have like a prostitution ring. Okay. So this guy works in a morgue. Uh, he was a, stockbroker before okay great mm-hmm. here we go like they didn't really mm-hmm. it's not really developed as far as on screen or maybe even uh or off screen or on screen like like mm-hmm. what what brought him to that point so gosh yeah. yeah that that was a little bit it's a little bit too easy i guess one of my writing mm-hmm. teachers would say mm-hmm. i think the reason that he needed to be the stockbroker was so that he was the person who understood how to use what essentially was the first version of a spreadsheet on a, yes, on a computer. Exactly. So he he had like that business acumen to run their more professional prostitution ring. He wasn't yes. just a pimp. He was like 
a computer spreadsheet pimp. Yeah, well, that was important, actually. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I mean, I... No, but seriously. I think it's interesting what you brought up about the writing because there were multiple little things that... And it, it's not... It's not about me like dinging the movie. It's just that like join us to tear apart night shift. No, 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 not at all. It's just that there were little like kind of breadcrumbs of things where I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I kind of actually want to see more of this or learn yeah. more. Like, like one of the major things. So okay, so and we'll let. I definitely want to talk about Belinda. Um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of everything kicks off because she is getting beat up as are her friends because they don't have a pimp now because their pimp was unceremoniously tossed out of a window in the opening of the movie sure was by richard belzer in an amazing yeah. scene like yes. the, the into guy, a basketball hoop yes. yeah <laughs> and the guy dunked i'm like is this kid gonna get crushed by the guy too what kind of comedy is this but no yes well <laughs> and i'm i'm not uh <clears throat> Asking you, David, to know the particulars of how a pimp does his business <laughs> and keeps keeps everything running smoothly, but violence is apparently part of the equation. But that's it. Just, that's just it. So, like, okay, so now Chuck and Bill uh-huh. become these de facto pimps. Mm-hmm. But isn't part of alternate title de facto pimps? <laughs> <laughs> but isn't part of what pimp life is is <laughs> It's like right. look, it's hard out there for ass- a pimp. asserting yourself. Like I don't see them interacting with the Johns. No, they right. didn't have to. They did. Yeah, there was no. They didn't have to be regulators, did they? Do I? Am I like? Yeah. yeah like I. I'm not. Okay. So you understand what I'm saying? So David. Yeah. So you're saying. Yeah. So you're saying the. <laughs> you're saying that the new. You know the uh, the newly anointed pimps of yes. Chuck and Bill are. Uh, they're they never interact with the the dudes who. Correct. Who do anything except for that one time? I think. Oh wait, no. This was before actually they became pimps when he when she got beat up in the elevator, and yeah. that's right. Yeah. So, but once they are, yeah, that was a blank, a blank plot point for sure. Once they were pimps, they never interacted with anyone. Um. So, like, is it they, enough they, for a sex worker to just say, "I have a pimp," I mean, so that their Johns don't? Maybe they say, "My pimp runs the morgue." Maybe like implying Impl- the, because of the implication because of the implication. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's kind of Possibly. interesting. We got, yeah. we got space for you. If you run out of line. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Go. Oh my God. Yeah. It was a little thin. I mean, and then you have these kind of antagonists, those two dudes who are like the, <laughs> the, the, anta- the like bad pimps or something. The, the ones who pimps? got yes. the mean pimps who got their business stolen from them. They kind of started to lurk towards the, like two thirds of the way through, they kind of yes. appeared, and then at the end, of course. So that was that was, I think, the way the vehicle they used to sort of present that there was okay. They do interact sort of with this world, but I don't know. It was a little bit a little bit thin, though, actually. But maybe you know what? Maybe I'm just like trying to placate my own feeling but like maybe that's yeah. that was the intention. Is that like so? They're showing, and I apologize that I'm I'm. Um, not recalling the other actor's name, but Richard Belzer, the the pimp with the glasses. Um, yes. So maybe that was intentional to show like how awful they can be, but that you know Chuck and Bill keep themselves respectable. I don't know. Like they they still maintain their humanity. Um, yeah. Maybe. I don't Ish. know. Ish. I mean, well, it's funny because because I think because we're definitely getting into like yeah, what makes the 
I think some of the problems with, well, or the less palatable things in a way, yeah. like they, like they're sort of, you know, one of the things you have to sort of buy into is that these pimps are like saving these women from yes. like like the bad life of being a yes. of being a prostitute, but yet. <laughs> they still are prostitutes when they say mm-hmm. quote save them. So like one of the one of the most sort of um in fact the part that I actually had to turn off last time I say the, saw the film was when the one of the uh, prostitutes is reading a poem they had written like mm-hmm. a thank you poem. Mm-hmm. And the, like it's so like they're, they're basically saying like thank you so much for making like life better for us as prostitutes. We couldn't right. thank you anymore. And I'm just like okay like this is this is like i don't know what do you guys think to me it was like distasteful but then if i i don't know if i got through that 10 minutes of the film then i was on board again (laughs) what i i think i i remember mentioning to to anna that like it's funny that at no point does the possible solution of no longer becoming being a prostitute. Yes, exactly. Like that was never. Well, it's always like, I, well, I now we're just I'm pimpless so, prostitutes. Yeah, no, I exactly. think this is so fascinating. Like, I really appreciate you bringing this up, David. I mean, yeah, it's it is a really interesting. It's tough when you're making of, a comedy based on prostitution. Yeah. Yes. Like, it. So there's multiple aspects that I find so interesting. Like, I want to just really quickly say that I do think that, um, I don't want to just like keep using the word interesting, but like the fact that they are very (laughs) candid about Belinda and her friends getting physically assaulted. Like there's not sugarcoating on that. I mean, they show her beaten up in the elevator and yeah. I mean, again, in the first five minutes, a guy is thrown out a window through a basketball hoop. Sure, sure. Yeah. There's violence all around, but like yes. to to be pretty, pretty like transparent about yeah. how these women are in danger, like they're endangering themselves. I mean, Chuck yes. himself was beat up by Shannon Doherty. Sure, right. Sure, <laughs> but right. another exactly. another another cameo. But like, I think that that was an interesting choice made. Again, I mean, obviously, like you know, people like Howard and whoever are making in the editing, you know, final decisions on what we're Mm going to eventually be shown as the film, but like that the writing is like, yes, we are going to show that these women get physically harmed by what they do. But then there's the other side of it where when, you know, Chuck and Belinda, they sleep together. They're both kind of showing that they have feelings for each other. He's Mm -hmm. fully expecting her to just quit yeah. And she's just like, well, what else am I going to do? Yeah. I know. We're on the burger yeah. stand. I, I don't know. Which I know this is the wildest thing to, but maybe not so wild. Um, mm-hmm. David, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot with this, hey, but did fine. you ever watch the HBO show, The Deuce? No. I okay. Didn't. That's okay. That's what, that's what we, it was We called, never right? finished watching it. Yeah. yeah okay. We didn't finish watching it, but um, it's about, uh, in part, mm. prostitution in New York in the 70s. Yeah. Wow. It starts yeah. off that way, and mm-hmm. then it starts moving be- between like the conflict of that and like a burgeoning porn industry. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it's also a comedy, <laughs> right? Right. It's <laughs> big on laughs. Um, <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> I think actually, unfortunately, a character also gets pushed out a window. Yeah, in, yeah. In wow. that show. Yeah, lots of pushing out windows. That's like, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. all to say that, like, it 
and and also a, a huge component. And this is not a podcast about the deuce, but like a huge component of that show as well is the dynamic between the sex workers and their pimps. Mm. So it it's just wow. such an interesting and and what that show does try to do is with at least some of the women showing them other options besides right. prostitution. Not necessarily out of sex work. Like one of them does go on to like she kind of wants to direct porn. Yeah. Um, wow. So I Look, just don't let your dreams just be dreams. Right. <laughs> well, I'll just say that like you know, and the, and that kind of circles back again to writing because so we do get a decent amount. Even though I wanted more, we get mm-hmm. some background on Chuck. Mm-hmm. We also get some background on Bill. You know, he on Christmas talks about his troubled upbringing. Right. We get, to my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong, David, I don't think we get anything on Belinda. I don't, I think you're right. And before I forget, I just want to mention this. It's really cool you brought up the, um, the deuce, is it called? I think it's called the deuce. Yeah. The deuce is that, which I haven't, like I said, I haven't seen, but I literally was thinking of this question, which is what would this, what would Night Shift look like if it wasn't a comedy? Like if the tone right. was totally different. Even if right. it was the, even if it was the same script. I mean, just I mean, I'm just thinking out of the box here. Like, what if it was a directed as a drama? And so it's interesting you brought up that movie because that's probably I'm, I'm not saying that's the same writing, but sure, uh, but, sure. But it is. But it is an example of that. That's very interesting. Um, now, as far as Belinda, do we hear anything about no, which is another it's there's kind of the a little bit of the air of um oversimplifying or almost caricaturizing women uh, yeah. or these prostitutes, and I think that yeah. uh not developing her more does sort of unfortunately adds to that mm-hmm. um so. Because you don't know why, why, like, how did she get to where she is right mm-hmm. now? Like, why is this her way of life? She seems kind of okay with it. Like, she doesn't seem to yeah. have any. And I'm not, you know, I don't, I really don't want to. Because the movie itself isn't really intending to, like, go down that path or tell us much about. Right. Like, right. Yes. right. I'm not intending for this conversation to be, you know, you know, should women always be trying to get out of sex work? Like, but in her mm. particular case, it's just funny that it didn't just, even. <laughs> yeah, it's just not I even. Know. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I see a lot of these decisions as like, how do we pull off this sort of comedic pre- uh, presentation? So, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the ways is to sort of slightly sugarcoat or simplify these characters in that way. And then other techniques are obviously like, let's use physical comedy as much as possible. Let's do ridiculous mm-hmm. things as much as possible. Like having the saxophonist play yes. fucked oh up God. notes in the subway. And then he writes a yes. check or like my favorite oh. part about the saxophonist. <laughs> that was Ron Howard. Shut up. That yeah. was Ron ha- Wait, what? That was oh Ron my God. Howard. Oh, I guess you don't see the face. Do you? He's uncredited, but he, he was the saxophonist. Yeah. Oh, that's so that funny. That is so cool. But can he actually play or was that just his body? And then they, yeah. Was he playing? Can he play? I want to know. I, that yeah, I, I want to know. know too. He, he's uncredited as that character, but he's not, I, I, I have no information on whether sound was being produced. Right, by right, him right. Oh, I want to know. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Wild. I, that's oh wild. Oh my God. That's so cool. But but yeah, I guess like 
thinking about, yeah, I guess, I guess the, what I'm thinking about is like, what are the techniques that are used to help us sort of be able to laugh throughout the whole Mm -hmm. thing, throughout as much as possible? No, that's a great point. I mean, you mentioned like kind of at the top of our conversation that, um, and if I may correct me if I'm, I'm misunderstanding what you said, but like you personally enjoy physical comedy and yeah okay and and so like in terms of that what what is it that like do you find that that also works itself into your like what you write or projects that you're drawn to yeah definitely i think um oh that's a real great question yeah i think that the way i direct is definitely um very can be like stylized in a sense mm-hmm. physically. Um, I haven't had that much opportunity to direct like full on physical comedy actually, mm-hmm. but I've been involved as a theater actor in physical comedy quite a sure. bit in the past. So um, I think I just like physical stylization in a really spe- specific sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I, I don't know. And maybe this was one of the first, the first times I was ever exposed to that actually. Oh, Okay, so maybe Possibly. a little bit it imprinted on you. I wonder. Yeah. I'm to think about other things before this. Because the Gosh, 80s, I would about, say. Right. Like, about so we're Wonka. talking 82, so early, early yeah. in the decade. I mean, this, yeah, um, and some of the earlier, early 80 movies that we've watched have felt almost more like they were from the 70s. Right. And there yeah. are, are certainly like just parts like I get I get vibes of this movie that feel more like a 70s movie than mm-hmm. an 80s movie. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I was going to say that, like, what I find interesting about physical comedy and about this specific time period is that, I, I mean, I, I would love it if you guys can pull out examples that I'm just, like, aren't coming to mind for me. But I feel like as far as comedy is concerned, we're moving further and further away from instances of physical comedy and film. Yeah. You know, like, um, stripes just came to mind for me. Um, right. Like yeah. that was similar kind of time period, I believe. Yep. No, you're and absolutely there was, right. there was yeah. a lot of physical, uh, stuff that they did in that. Um, and also a sort of similar sort of campiness. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm thinking of, um, Willy Wonka came into my mind a few minutes ago, actually. And I was just thinking okay. about like his, uh, you know, the sort of physical, well, that character obviously is such a physical sort of um, specimen in a way, the way he moves. And, um, but I'm trying to think of other ones that are really. From that era or just now? Well, now, I mean, I can't think of, I mean, first of all, I feel like we're a little bit in a drought and just, yeah. generally with like good comedy um good broad comedy yeah but mm-hmm. i it, even for instances where i could think of a comedy i'm still struggling to think of anything that like really falls into the realm of physical comedy how about that uh that moment in the first episode of season three of the mandalorian where he says <laughs> that guy used his head well, Does that, that is that is not oh. physical comedy. To be <laughs> Derek, Derek really, really wasn't a fan of that that line in, Got in the it. show. Um, but like you know, and and maybe this is just me being lazy. But like the the most recent, and this isn't recent at all. Um, mm-hmm. Example that I can think of that really was successful was like Bridesmaids. Like that has a lot of physical mm-hmm. comedy in it. But mm-hmm. we're already talking 
almost 15 years removed. Super bad right. was around that timeline. Right. I think right. that preceded you, just just a touch right. old school that. super bad like there but those, those are all yeah, yeah those are yeah. all a while and ago. that's and that's the point yeah. that's yeah. the yeah, point is that it is you know so not much uh physical comedy in uh the marvel cinematic universe right Sorry. no huh. no yeah Gosh, now i'm thinking i wish something would come to mind huh yeah right i mean the fact that none of us can easily kind of say oh well what about the you know like that's why it does feel like this is a very special era in mm-hmm. terms of comedy because of what, you know, that that aspect of it. I mean, I I love great like uh, you know, funny dialogue. Like I love and yes, there's of course physical comedy, but like slapstick. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. and screwball comedies of like the 30s and 40s, but like for me, I go initially to the dialogue, and that still can come through in comedy nowadays. But like, yeah, like the physical comedy mm. part of it. But if I want to see the fun, yeah. strapped down in a morgue, getting sure. drinking from a fire hose, <laughs> that was actually kind of terrifying. Oh, that, that was that was, that was the scary out. part, right? Yeah, that would have uh, that would have been that. That was honestly um, Oof, that was kind of took my breath away <laughs> when yeah, I was like, was "What scary. are they about to do to him?" I know. Yes, I don't that, think that was you would very disturbing. That. that was yeah, very disturbing. It was. It was. You know, something just came to mind to me, and it's because sure. when I've, I've watched all of Better Call Saul, um, oh yeah, and I just realized that obviously it's not a comedy, but there are some things that are really physically stylized in that mm-hmm. sometimes. And uh, like, do you guys know it? I've, Derek does. I've watched all of it too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, I'm just thinking of like. This one scene came to mind when it's in the last, I believe in the last season. Um, so Jimmy is going to there. It's when they're pulling the full on pranks on. Oh yeah. The blonde lawyer, the blonde yeah. lawyer guy. And he goes to, um, <laughs> to meet up with him when he's at his psychology session and he's, he's going there and he's they're They're doing some kind of ruse on him or something, but he, he parks Billy uh Jimmy parks in a parking space and he and he has to move the the parking sign to yeah. the other parking space to re- do, you, do, you, does it, so do you remember what, this? Yeah, he he went there when Howard the, yes, the Howard. attorney went for his counseling session and took his yes. car while he had like orange face paint like he, like spray tan so that he could drive around. Yes. And very relevant for this podcast episode <laughs> to pick up a prostitute. Oh, uh, yeah! Drive around so that everyone would think that they were seeing Howard with this yes. prostitute. Got it. When he That's gets right. back to the psychologist's office, someone had parked where Howard's car was originally. Yes. So to make it look like his car never moved, he pulls the sign physically up out of the ground. Oh, yes. okay. And there's this like great struggle to get it out and then <laughs> replant it. Well, that's yeah, actually that's really fair. interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, maybe what what your your showing David is maybe like this aspect of like what we're calling physical comedy is being transplanted more into drama. Hmm. Yeah, in that case, I think it is. Yeah, it's just sort of these large physical choices that are yeah. la- larger than life because I mean that's not that's not realistic. Like that pulling right. the sign, like that isn't actually real. But it's this sort of larger than life physicality that we're on board with if it's done really well. Yeah. No, that's really well said. Yeah, really I never thought about that. Huh. Well, Derek, one thing that you just touched on um, when you were mentioning, uh, you know, cut, not not the final climax, but like when when 
you know, the, the uh, Bill unwittingly brings police to the morgue and yeah. um, they have the shootout with, with the bad pimps. Um, <laughs> I wanted to talk about David. So, so the hook is that these two guys basically have their own prostitution ring out of a morgue. Right. I wanted to see more <laughs> of why why it's so funny because it's a morgue. Like oh. I didn't really see Well, Clint Howard having sex in one of the Sure. Okay. Yeah, the okay. sex thing. Yeah. They had these little it was Frat mostly party. had to do with the dra- the drawers were the main thing yeah. that did that basically. It's funny. That's the true. the body drawers about but they were like these little bits. So we got Michael Keaton coming out of the door what has the recorder yeah. uh playing sure. over and over of the thing. Uh, <laughs> and then uh and then he's got and then it's the two people yeah at the frat party coming out of it having sex uh and then, but yeah, it seems to be those drawers are the are the device that does what you're asking for. But could there be more? Yeah, I think so. You're you're absolutely right. And and if I may, David, yeah, have you not to say that you've had? I'm not assuming uh, a lot of experience being inside morgues, but <laughs> my day it's my night job. No, Is it no, your night job? That's no. your night job. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. The fact that it was wooden. Wooden mm. drawers. I expected uh, stainless steel. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was yeah. <laughs> that was really interesting. Like, did did they make that whole set? Of course they did. I mean, they they probably sure. Why did he? Why did he want it to be wooden? Why would? Got to class it up if it's going to be your. Uh... It, it seems like it's a really poor. I mean, look. Let's not. I won't. Huh. I'm I'm saying this to myself. Like, I won't go down a whole rabbit hole. But like, there's bodily fluids they're, that right. they're disinfected. I'm sure. But wood is porous. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, well. Which is exactly why they use metal. Were they wood inside as well? Or was it just like mm, an exterior? I don't know. Like a nice I don't, oak. I don't know if we really see. Mm. But it's Smoky a exterior, it's a, maybe. But all I'll say is this. You know, we, we've been talking off and on about the writing and who knows maybe changes were made maybe we maybe we were gonna see more i mean the film comes in at Mm. like what about an hour 45 i want the Um, uh, director's cut of this well Mm. i like the length of the film i i'm i'm the person who thinks that comedy should never hit two hours like they that's a lot that's like Mm -hmm. i'm i'm really about tight comedy um so i do think this absolutely qualifies but it's the one thing with the writing like i said most of the stuff doesn't bother me it's just more more than anything curiosity to have known more or seen more Mm -hmm. this is the one thing where i'm like well the whole joke is that they're doing a prostitution ring out of a morgue Mm -hmm. right So let's see more of like this mashup between what they need to be doing as morgue workers yeah Yeah, they didn't do anything did they 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 never did there's one thing they could have done which i bet they cut is like just having more bodies come in yeah just like Yes. Just have you know have a body be there when they're during the fraternity party or something yes. even like a, a body comes in uh, and rolls in and then God knows what they would do with that body but exactly. yeah so yeah they definitely had because they would just say someone would just say oh well who's gonna pick up the bodies now or something you know but they never really brought that in all the way that's true yeah that's hmm. the only thing is that I would. You know, I would have liked to have seen more of that. Right. Um, I want to see more. I want to see a few more dead bodies in this prostitution comedy. Or, or even, <laughs> but, that's, but that's it. That's why it's so wild because of what the implication is, you know? <laughs> right. Or like during the shootout, if they would have had like a couple other bodies 
Oh yeah, you know, use them as a shield. Yeah, exactly. Human, human exactly. shield. Exactly. That's exactly where I was going. Yeah. So right. In any case, no, that's well, that's very interesting. Yeah, uh, I love that. We're ready for a night a night shift <laughs> prequel and remake. <laughs> yes, exactly. Huh. Well, let's circle back because I, you know, we've kind of talked about each of the three characters individually, right. but. I'm very curious, David, your thoughts on the romance between Belinda and mm. Chuck and how well that works for you. And then kind of like tying into that, his relationship with Charlotte and just what you thought of the whole romance aspect. Love of this. The, yeah. <laughs> so again, so it's funny. <laughs> it's funny because I'm thinking about, because I think I laugh because it it does the some of the comedy they squeeze out of it, it out of it is somehow at the expense of a um caricaturized version of the girl of the fiance in a sure. sense like like she's overweight and like it, and it's sort of like described in a way that's um what's the word exactly like like just not not nice to her, but in a funny right, way. Like so, right. when 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 the Michael Keaton character is like looking at the photo of her, um, uh, Chuck shows him the photo, and Michael Keaton. I don't know if you remember this. It's such a throwaway. He just says, "Nice frame." Yeah, <laughs> and it's Aww. like so. It's a, it, it's a, that could be a double entendre right. that it's about it's about the frame of her and the photo fo- <laughs> of the photo. But I right. think it's just like. Oh, nice friend. That's a nice photo frame. So, so it's this sort of like dissing her from the beginning. Um, and then, but so let's think about this. I would say, ah, it's, it's just so it's funny, but it's really narrow. It's like, it's all Mm -hmm. about him just wanting to fuck. Like he just wants to fuck her. It really is. He's He's horny. Yeah. Yeah, He's he's, to this. Yeah. Yeah, like she's just she's just someone who he, who he, essentially he wants to do that with. He's horny, uh, and she doesn't want to because of all these neurotic reasons, which is funny also but the way they do it. Um, so I'd say what I give to that relationship is that it's it's based on sort of a series of comic devices. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. that's no, sort of totally. what it and seems the, to be. To be fair, she's not overweight. Like she right, knows. no, she's yeah, she's, she's not. She's attractive. Yeah. yeah, and there's, it's like, fine. a tiny part of me that is, like, okay, I get the whole, like, I really do get the whole, like, you want to look your best for your wedding day um, and the insecurities. Like, there was a little part of me that, like, sympathized with her for, like, the way she felt. It definitely is taken to an extreme. Um, yeah. Yes. With, yeah. Well, no, so, so there's that. But um, Well, it's like, oh, you're not uh, – no, no sex with your fiancé? Boy, do we have a romantic interest for sure, you? Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. But I guess it's funny because they have to walk that line of like he's dissatisfied enough to want to like fall in love with a prostitute. So that's also like right. murky. But yeah, that's tricky. Yeah, the stakes the stakes of that relationship were not super high. That's that's right. They're that's definitely way of it. definitely yeah. true. Um, no, I was not invested in that at all. I knew from. The first moment that right. he that he had a fiance, I'm, like, I'm like, well, that's yeah. not going to last. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. But it's interesting. Oh, go ahead. Uh, sorry. Oh no, not at all. No, please go ahead. Well, it's just interesting because the bar for that character is on this really low level, which is really actually kind of interesting because it's like, okay, he's got this 
dissatisfied, dissatisfying relationship. And then the person who he's going to fall in love with is like literally a prostitute. So there's mm-hmm. no, so it's, so maybe that works. And it's not like he's going to fall in love with, because it's not realistic probably that someone like a legit, like amazing businesswoman would fall in love with mm-hmm. him, possibly mm-hmm. the way they set it up. So I don't know. It's like, um, I don't know if I'm going to finish my thought on that. <laughs> no, no, I, no. I like, I like, I like where you're going. With that I mean, I, I can understand why Belinda and Chuck gravitate towards each other. I mean, she right. says a couple times over, "You're a really nice guy. You're a really decent guy." Yeah, she first meets him the night that her pimp is tossed out a window. Yeah, he, he. I think, <laughs> I think what maybe. Um, and I mean this, I, you said like it's a low bar, but um, the fact that he treats her with respect, mm-hmm. although, well, you know, he says to her at one point too, you're a whore. Yeah, so it's like his kind of real feelings on it. Famously, not a great thing to say. Not though. a great thing yeah. to say. That was when it seemed like it was uh, completely unraveling for them. Right. Now, uh, I will say uh, one thing the film did well to me is when it got to the point where, oh, this actually gets into the, um, fr- that's what friends are for a little bit. So yeah. they play that. So they really introduced that song when, when they were talk. that love interest was walking kind of outside somewhere, having this little mini heart to heart. But that song was so prominent that I was like, okay, this everywhere. is not, I, yeah, I was like this, I was like this, this song, if nothing else, is telling me that this is going no, that this is a friendship. In fact, when there was a scene where they were in the apartment together, and she started to say, he he revealed his all of his thoughts, feelings to her finally. Yeah, and she and 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 she's the look that she gave him. I was like, oh yeah, she she's about she's gonna say. I was convinced that she was gonna say, that's so sweet. You are so sweet. Period. Right. You're you are so sweet. You're, You're such, such a good, a good friend. friend. Yeah, I'm that's so, what friends I'm are for. I'm so glad I met you. Yeah. <laughs> and that, exactly. Exactly. So then the fact that it actually didn't go that way, I was like, oh, wow. This is actually, like, that was, that was intriguing. And I actually, I think I believed it. <laughs> did I believe Yeah. Yeah, I think I did. No, I mean, I'm, I'm not at all dissatisfied by, by the romance. Right. And I, think, I did love that after they they have their first uh, passionate hug and kiss, it's followed right back up with "That's what friends are for." It yeah, is a really funny. Like <laughs> it's a really good song. I love that song. And but I was like, what an interesting placement. Well, of it the is. Song. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was interesting. What In the I final? Uh, Go ahead. Sorry. What I realized is that the song was actually originally written by Burke Bert. Apologies. Bacharach yes. and Carol Bear Sager. Mm-hmm. And it was first created for this movie. It Which was, is yes. so wild. Like I've, I've never, I've always, I mean, I've heard the song a million times. And so I thought that they just, for whatever reason, like got <laughs> this song for the movie. Uh, I had no idea that it was intentional created for th- specifically for yeah. this movie. That's amazing. And did you know, do you know who's singing it on this movie? Rod um, Stewart, right? Yeah. Rod Stewart. Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. I like his version of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I, by the time, so the third time the song came back was at the very end, <laughs> if not the fourth, but it's when the three of them were free from whatever, and the, like you know, Bill and Chuck and and her. So that's what sort of justified the use of the song 
Correct. The yeah. second time in a way. I'm like, yes. oh, okay, it is more about a larger friends thing, maybe. I'm I'm really glad you brought that up because that for me is where it like feels cohesive. Mm-hmm. Is like when you're taking into account the fact that it's the three of them. Right. Um, it was an interesting choice that it was kind of the the like love theme as well <laughs> between, between that, Chuck and that's Belinda, what this song but, is for um I mean yeah. I mean the only thing I can and again this is like maybe me trying to justify what it is but maybe it's because like for you know two-thirds of the film they are friends mm-hmm. yeah so the fact that mm. like the the romance comes out of a friendship maybe mm-hmm. that's what the Maybe the intention was that's behind. Yeah, that's <laughs> you were about to say it. I was about to say it again. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm like, I've said it too much, and yet I still have only cited a fraction of the number of times <laughs> it was used in the movie. That's funny. Wait, I mean, wow, it's really kind of an interesting topic because you could also see it like the first time the song comes in, it's literally a device to say like this is not happening. Like, it's literally right. just like, by the right. way, we're just programming you to think this isn't happening, which is yes. actually what it did for me. And then the next one is like, well, we have to keep the song going somehow, so we're just going to throw it in here. And then the third one is the rule of threes, we're going to put it in again, yep. and it's yep. because they're all friends. I really, really <laughs> desperately wish that it was the song that they used to open the movie. So you just hear the crescendo of the song as the guy's falling out the window. I think oh that would have been, that just would have been fantastic comedy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, yes. it's, it, it, it was, I, again, it's, it's so interesting because like at the time that the film came out, obviously in the same way that like Shelley Long and Michael Keaton weren't how we perceive them today, that song was very brand new mm-hmm. and yes. did maybe have the same quite of like impact that now we hear it. And we're like, Oh yeah. If that's I, what friends yeah. are for. You know, like I can't even imagine how I would feel about the song. If that was the first time I probably wouldn't have felt really any way about it. Exactly. Yes. But because like, you know, I, I, it's the last thing that I would think of. So right. when I just heard it in the movie, I'm like, what is going on? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. It's, and that's often something that we have to kind of reconcile when we're talking about films that are like 30 to 40 years old. Is, yeah. Yeah. Is that the way that we're perceiving them in 2023. It's is, one of the first times that it's been, that that's been so directly related to a song I've heard in the movie. That's true. Yeah. But, but you're mm. right. Like it's, it's very common for us to watch something and like, wow, this is wild looking at it through the lens of 2023. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, it is. Yeah, and, well, and also in terms of the the whole like PC thing, um, with the prostitution and all that, like, and this might be obvious, but the chances I think of selling this script now, oh, totally, is pretty much impossible. Right? I mean, I'm I'm so glad you brought that up because you're kind of bringing me to what I wanted to make sure because this has been you'll get one fa- season from Netflix out of it, <laughs> right? <laughs> this has been such a like, honestly, such a fun conversation, especially because this is such a fresh film for Derek and myself. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I wanted to definitely touch on before we wrap up is, you know, we maybe not with every episode, but we often do talk about, like, could this have been a film made today? Mm. And I mean, I feel like you you've kind of put out <laughs> what you feel, David, right. but like I don't even know anymore. I mean, part of it is like so one thing that um I know we did kind of talk about the dynamic between Bill and Chuck and the women, but like, for instance, you know, at one point, if I'm understanding correctly, they bought like a fast food joint. Yes. For yeah. Them. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's an investment. An investment. Right. Okay. Between like how many women? Like I that that was like my first thought is like how many people own this restaurant? Yeah, like is like, this a co-op or Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's like publicly traded or if there's a majority share. I don't know any of that. So Right. And and it was, you know, obviously they just they made a decision to keep it in the final cut, but they didn't really linger on it. So Again, not trying to read too much than what is there, but mm-hmm. David, do you think that that was um, them implying that they are trying to maybe redirect where the women? You don't want to do it forever, right? Gotta have an exit. Uh, or like at the end when when Belinda tells Chuck that she's bought a condo, and he's like, "Oh, good investment." You know, yeah. Like, actually, maybe that is. I could see that as if they had sort of pushed that point a little stronger, that that mm-hmm. could have played as a theme. But it's because, I, but I wouldn't have even, it, huh? It just kind of passed by me without thinking about it that way. Same. Um, yeah. But, but you know what? Now that you mentioned it, yeah, if that was, if I may read your mind, you may be saying yeah. that if it was to be remade or sold or, or, you know, whatever, that if that was, if that part of the story was told more, then maybe it would have a chance. I don't yeah. know. Is that what you're saying? I mean, it is, you know, I, I agree with you. I think as it is, I don't think this film is getting made today. Yeah, I don't I don't know anymore. I feel like there, yeah. there is certainly an argument to be made that it probably wouldn't be, but I also see these things like coming and going in cycles. Sure. Mm-hmm, where mm-hmm where there might be a time either now or at some point in the future where someone is, is like intentionally trying to put something out there that's going to like mm. push buttons or be sure. like the equivalent. Cause like the office wouldn't be made right. in right. the same way today, but I, I, I don't you're, know. You're right about cyclical things. Cause like what a year later we get trading places with another and pardon, oh, pardon yeah. the term, but like the phrase, like the hooker with the heart of gold. Yeah. Um, you know, and Jamie Lee Curtis as well. It was a very popular trope that they yes. like pretty yeah. woman. I don't know. Pretty yes, woman. That, yeah, well, exactly. that was that was 10 years later, but still, yeah. yeah, there you go. There you go. So we're due. We're ready for our next. Right. <laughs> but it's like, what huh. will that look like? Because again, this well. isn't what the the point of this particular podcast is, but there's a lot of conversation around um, you know, sex work being something that like there shouldn't necessarily be shame around or if, right. you know, or trying to get out of sex. So like there, there is a oh, whole yeah. conversation around that. And that's not what this podcast is about, but so it's the, like the next version hmm. would be about someone who is hosting all of their only fans content in a server <laughs> in a morgue. <laughs> wow. Uh, that is, Do it. that is a 2023 Perfect. version of this. There you for go. Sure. That's awesome. Wow. Well, David. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> On that note, yes. uh, this this has been such a wonderful conversation. Like, we're so glad that you Aww. wanted to talk about this film because this, this has this been a was, lot of fun. This has been Likewise. so much fun getting yeah, I to can't talk believe. about this one. Oh yeah, I've 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 had a great time too. And uh yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. Of course. And, you know, as I mentioned, when you first were getting introduced, you do so many wonderful creative things in the just in writing and acting and directing and music. And so I was wondering if you would just like to share with our listeners either where they can find you, what you've been up to, anything you want. Sure. Uh, so I would say the best place to follow me 
is uh, Instagram, which is uh, at Voice Los Angeles, all one mm. word, Voice Los Angeles. Um, you can also see what I'm up to at davidbabich.com, um, B-A-B-I-C-H, to learn more about kind of the different things I do. Um, on Instagram, I give updates about my music and mm-hmm. acting appearances and things like that. Uh, and if anyone is interested in connecting about um, filmmaking, feel free to reach out to me that way as well. I have a, um, a TV series that I'm developing or that actually is fully developed uh, with a pilot and also a feature that's very close to being finished also. So if anyone wants to, you know, reach out in that way as well, feel free to, to uh, hit me up. That's awesome. And just for our part, we wish you just all the best with all your projects. You are a true talent and we hope that the world gets to see more of you, both see and hear more of you Mm, as a musician. So thank you again for being on the show. It was truly our pleasure having you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. David, thank you again for a great conversation. It was really fun. That was awesome. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. It was. Yeah. I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I agreed with you. So now you're kind of agreeing with me, agreeing with you. So Derek. Yes. I think I might know the answer to this. Would you watch this film again? Yeah, definitely. It was, it was actually like kind of a bizarre movie Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. some ways. Like just like the music when Mm -hmm. it opens, opens with like, as we've mentioned, the, the slam dunk concurrently with a pimp getting thrown out a window. There's a lot. There's a lot going on in this movie. So yeah, I would watch it again. As would I, for sure. I mean, like I mentioned a couple times over when we were chatting with David, I I feel like this kind of is one of those films where I'm like, oh man, if there's just more to it, like I, I'm kind of shocked that like I wanted to know more mm-hmm. about certain aspects of the story or see. We want a prequel trilogy. Yeah. And then a sequel trilogy yes. for this. Yes. That's the only way I can really know what happens yeah. to Chuck. Need to know. So call to action. I mean, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that. Um, Have you ever had to drink literally water from a fire hose? Because I think it would be lethal. That that for that for sure was like actually kind of a scary part. I mentioned <laughs> that like that. I was kind of like, what is about, what am I about to see? Because yeah. that, that would not have turned out as well no. as it did. For no, him. that was like they turned a garden hose on or yeah. something. Yeah. It, mm, mm. No, an actual like fire hose, uh-uh. like that would, oh, I don't even want to think about it really. But, but conveniently, his body would already be at the morgue. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious. I don't know. This is a little bit of a like abstract question. But we've talked a lot at this point about seeing an actor who has been hugely identified with a single character. Yeah. And their attempts to, like, kind of get beyond that and do other work. And so I'm just curious out there. Like, I mean, we brought it up with David. Like, maybe one of the more notable examples is Mark Hamill. Yeah. I think so. Like, he... He did a lot of, uh, like, voice stuff. Yes. Before kind of, like, finding a, a renaissance and yeah. getting back into and live And he seems stuff. like he's very much embraced it. He doesn't seem to really take issue with the fact that he's so identifiable with Luke Skywalker. But then you have someone like his co-star, Harrison Ford, who, 
you know, could have gone down that route. And I'm not saying that Hamill wasn't successful in terms of getting beyond Luke Skywalker, but I think Harrison Ford is an example of how, like, very quickly he got out of the shadow of Han Solo. Well, because he was, like, indie. Right. Arguably, he's more identifiable as indie than as Han Solo. I don't know. It's like a true um, toss-up for him. But so all to say, I'm curious if anyone out there like what their thoughts are on an actor getting beyond that identification with a character and who you think has done it really successfully and who has not been able to get past that. That's a good one. It's funny. That was mine too. I was going to say the exact same thing. It's amazing. You always piggyback. <laughs> uh, <I don't> <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> It's fine. So if you would like to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you. You can reach out through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. It is the same handle for all three. It is at 80s Montage Pod and 80s is 80s. Okay, sneak peek. Mm. Oh boy, what am I going to do as a clue? Is it clue? I'm going to do that every single time. No, but like I feel like there's like kind of a connection. Really? Between, like, subject matter. It's oh. been such a long time since I've seen this movie. Really? Okay. Um, it was curious. more like a film that my dad liked than... Sorry, mm. I'm going into this making it sound like it's not a film that I'm excited to cover, and that's not the case. <laughs> but... Mm, I don't know what to give as a clue. Chevy Chase. Oh, it's going to be Fletch. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm excited to see... Uh, yeah, I have seen Fletch. It's been a very long time. Yeah. So, and then just recent, uh, what was the film that came out with John Hamm that was like a reboot kind of, right? Y- yeah. Confess Fletch. Yeah. 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 So that is what is coming up on tap. The reason why I'm super excited is because we get to have an awesome returning guest, someone that we just had a wonderful time with the first time around. He guested with us for summer school. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So we're really excited to have him back. And in the meantime, just thank you so much for hanging with us with all the choices you have out there. We do really appreciate that you're spending your time with us and we will talk to you again in two weeks time. 